0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for March 19th, 2019. Uh, Two days after the players concludes, he was out there. He joins us now. Uh, The voice, one of the voices of Florida State on ESPN3 and the ACC Network Extra, Mr. Sean Davison. Hello, sir. Welcome back.
1: Hey, Jeremy. Glad to be back.
0: All right. Sean's got a little, uh, is a little under the weather. We're going to try not to tax his voice um, too much. Uh, You've attended this tournament so many times. What did you think about March versus
1: May? Of course, it looks immaculate in March. Uh, I appreciate the colder weather. It's a nice change from, you know, when you go out there in May and it's 90-some-odd degrees and you got the Florida humidity and it's just, almost unbearably hot to make the trip around Sawgrass, so it was a nice change in climate. Um, did not expect all that wind as well, but, um, you know, it really seemed to be a nice fit, and I think it's, you know, going back to the way the tour has restructured the schedule, having a big event every month, all the way from the players through the playoffs. Um, I think it makes sense from a logistical standpoint. You've got all your Florida events in a row. It really was very well run, and it was... Absolutely, a gem of a golf course as it always is, but it really flexed its muscle uh, this past weekend.
0: How many days were you out there this past week? I
1: was uh, there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday.
0: Okay. Um, these guys are so good. These players are so good that, except for John Rahm on thirteen when when he just totally tried to hit a st- uh, sorry on eleven when he tried to hit a stupid hook with a fifteen mile per hour wind going down and against him sorry with and from the left, and he tried to hit a huge right-to-left hook, which was just beyond stupid, which we'll get to later. Um, the wind really didn't, as, as much as the wind was hyped and the change of wind direction was hyped, it didn't seem to have that big effect on TV. Down there in person, how big of an impact was it? Well, the cold
1: and the wind had a pretty big impact on my voice. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, honestly, it's, it didn't seem to have that much of an effect. You know, I I walked with a few different groups and talked with a few different people, and it's, you know, the scores were right about the same, if not one or two lower at 16-under than we're accustomed to seeing at TPC. There's a lot of years where 12, 13, 14 has won that tournament. Uh, There's been years where something in the single digits has won that tournament, if you look at some of the totals in May. So, I mean, it really didn't seem to have as much of an effect, but... I think that the move to this time of year, really the biggest effect that it had was on the quality of the golf course, which is already a stunning track, but it really, everything seemed to be immaculate at Sawgrass. And, uh, you know, I think one of the the things that was probably most impacted by the weather, you know, I think when you combine Tiger going off early-ish on Sunday and the weather being what it was, Um, it did not seem like there was as many people there on a championship Sunday as there usually is, if they might've been out a little bit earlier, you know, traffic getting into the course was a lot easier, but that having been said, when Rory finished up on 18, I thought the crowd was incredible. So
0: Uh,
1: that was the slight shift just because it was colder and windier and, um, you know, Tiger, which is always the guy who moves the needle and who really is the needle, was going off a little bit earlier maybe a lot of people were out early and then you know trickled off the course but you know there was still a solid contingent but i, I did happen to notice that it was a lot easier getting to the course um and, and usually uh, a1a which is the main drag that takes you right by the sawgrass community um it's packed for several miles and i was able to ride on in there no problem whatsoever on sunday which i thought was a little unusual but hey you know what great crowds and i was able to get into the course quickly and efficiently so you know what thumbs up there
0: um, Rory um, how, how many events have, have you attended on, on this Florida Swing so far?
1: Uh, I stopped out at Bay Hill on Sunday I didn't expect to be out there but stopped out there on Sunday I had a baseball double header on Saturday it was supposed to be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series had the extra day, decided to go down and check it out Bay Hill looked fantastic too It did. on um, TPC and then I might, if I get myself feeling a little bit better I might swing out by Brook on Thursday.
0: So what I find interesting is Rory's obviously been trending. Everybody's been talking about this. But, you know, you were out there at Bay Hill on Sunday, and, and he's had these Sunday struggles. It all goes back to Augusta when he missed that eagle putt on two last year, that, that short eagle putt. He's never quite been the same on Sunday since. And finally he puts it together. And from 11 on, when he hit that... Fantastic bunker shot on 11. Um, even with the bogey on 14, bounces back with that great bunker shot on 15 to set up the birdie. From from 11 on, that's the Rory McIlroy we know. He was able to take it to another gear. And that's what really impressed me is that he said, you know, every, F everybody else and what they think of me. I'm going to take charge of this tournament and win. And that's what he did. Yeah, no, I mean, I think
1: there's, there's a saying, you know, difficult roads lead to beautiful places. And in mean, the past few years, for him trying to seal the deal, late, he put him out, put himself in position, couldn't make the putts, couldn't hit the shots that mattered, knowing full well that he could because he'd done it in the past. You know, for a guy who's used to winning or has gotten used to winning early on in his career, you know, that's got to be tough. And for him to just sort of channel that, seeing the bounce and the glide in his step, again, was fantastic to see. And just, you know, you could tell it was the culmination of a lot of baby steps, probably very annoying baby steps, knowing that you're as close as you are. Um, and finally winning a tournament that for the longest time, you know, when he was playing really well and winning a bunch of other tournaments, TPC was giving him fits. Now, I remember one year uh, when I was still hanging out a lot in the booth with the folks at NBC and uh, tremendous folks at that, you know, uh, I remember at one point Johnny Miller remarking, wow, you know, we didn't talk that much about Rory and he backdoor top tendon. And at the time, I think he shot maybe like a 65 on that Sunday and ended up finishing T7, T8. And that was by far and away the best effort he had had on TPC Sawgrass to that point in his young career. And uh, it was one of those ones where kind of like Jordan Spieth, where we've noticed early on in his career, had a hard time making cuts, ended up missing the cut again this last time. Um, You know, TPC Sawgrass is confused and tricked and tormented and penalized some of the game's best, and for a little while it was roaring. So for him to now add not just a tournament win, that a tournament so highly regarded on a course so highly regarded as DPC and the players is
0: tremendous for his career, and I think it's tremendous for the trajectory of golf as well. Um, We're talking to Sean Davison here about um, Rory. Um, You and I have signed a contract um, um, that every uh, single person who who either writes talks or um, produces golf has signed, um, and that contract states that my next question must be, what does this do for Rory at Augusta? Um, because um, <laughs> it just seems like that's where every conversation's going. So, um, because I'm bounded by law, Sean, what do you think about Rory at Augusta?
1: <laughs> I think he's got a tremendous shot at Augusta. I really do.
0: Yeah, it, I, it, it, I it, it
1: just... Yeah. Win, I'm not sure that this win does anything... You know, in particular, on its own, as much as, you know, it adds the, okay, I can close element to it. But like it's been said, mainstream, the string of top tens, the string of playing in the final groups on Sunday for the past couple of years, putting himself in position time and time again. He already knows that he's playing well enough to put himself there. And he's played well enough at Augusta plenty of times to walk away with a green jacket, but hasn't. But now on a course that never really was his best friend, if you go back years and years and years ago, which he found a way to win on, you win there, you, you seal the deal, you make some putts that matter, you hit key shots down the stretch that matter, you play with that pressure that will made, that you could say, maybe it's self-imposed, maybe it's you know sometimes what the media or the fans are projecting onto you, maybe it's a little of everything, but you still play through it and you can execute down the stretch. To me, I think that's the final check. You know, the final box to check for this to be a legit run. You know, we we wanted to see him put the icing on the cake, if you will. We wanted to see him seal the deal. And now he's done it at a huge tournament leading up to the Masters, which is now right around the corner, on a course that he is familiar with, that he does play well on, and that he has put himself in position in time and time again. So when you look at the string of top ten, and you look at the string of final groups, and now you see him win... A really tough tournament against a really loaded field, and now all the pieces seem to come together. It seems like the stars might be aligning for Rory to get his best run yet at a green jacket at Augusta. I don't see why it couldn't be.
0: It's interesting. Um, you know it as, as well as, as, as anybody being in the booth, besides the guy who talked about this as, as, as much as anybody. Something happens when you step foot on that property. Something happens when you get to that first tee at whatever major it is. And the the tension and the pressure just get elevated that little bit, and you just wonder what is going to happen here with Rory come Augusta and the second nine on Sunday. Um, Or if it's the same as last year and it's having to make a key putt early on, um, fans the, the tee shot right on one gets away with it and then misses that put on two and was never the same the rest of the day last year it's gonna be fascinating to see how he progresses um, as this year goes on um,
1: yeah and there's, there's two trains of thought too and I think they're both perfectly logical you know there's the you know going into that tournament that it's the last box if you will to check yeah in terms of winning your championships and you know that you've had your heart broken there before. So naturally, a lot of people would say, yeah, he's going to press. And I think we've seen him in the past press probably too hard and try a little too hard to win a tournament and to really want it almost too bad. We've heard the reference before that, you know, you kind of get in your own way. And there is going to be the ideology that that could happen again because you know it is the last one left for you to win. And I understand that, and I think it's a perfectly logical argument, and I think it's a perfectly logical point of view, and we really don't know what's going to happen for certain until he sets foot on that ground. But I think the way that I'm choosing to go with it and I just sort of um, put out there is, you know, you can choose to focus on how close you come and the heartbreak, or you can say, you know what? I've come close, so I play here. I play well here. I know as well as anybody that anything can happen on Sunday. All I can do and all I can hope for is to put myself in position and trust that just like I did a month ago, I can get the job done this time. And that's where I think... Just looking at Rory and his mindset and his demeanor and how he carries himself and how he's not getting ahead of himself, I mean, it was a very muted celebration after winning the players. Um, there's a certain maturity and a certain understanding, not just of where he is in his game, but where he is in his life. Yeah. And I think this could be the time that if he puts himself in that position, things are going to check out all right. And I think this positive experience at TPC was really astronomical in that regard.
0: And, and, and also, I'm not 100% sure he knew he won when he tapped in for par. True. On 18. That's all the um I you know they it was never said clearly on NBC if 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 Bones had made him aware that that you know he had this lead and as long as you par you win. I I'm, I'm not sure what Bones told him. Um but I mean uh Dan called it as if he won, but I'm not sure Rory knew that he won. So um, there is that distinction. Um, uh, l- let's get to some of the other stuff. You've been around the Florida swing for a long time. And as somebody who has, you know how big Jim Furyk is on that swing, um, how popular he is as a player, and how frustrated he's been at his, at his injuries. Seeing him perform at what he did at 48, and especially the tee shot on 18, the second shot, and making that birdie. I mean, that's a moxie right there. That was really impressive from what we saw from Jim Furyk.
1: You know, there's going to be a lot of guys when they call it a career that are going to look back and wonder what could have been had a guy not named Tiger Woods and another guy not named Phil Mickelson not been playing at the exact same time. Jim Furyk's going to be one of those players, and he's had a well of a career regardless. You know, he's had the kind of career that a lot of guys, if he told them when they set foot on tour for the first time, that they're going to win double-digit events, they're going to win a U.S. Open, they'd take it and run. And they'd be very happy with what they were able to accomplish. That they would be a captain of a Ryder Cup team and that they'd be a staple on international teams for a period of time. I mean, he's been one heck of a player for a long time. And, you know, now he's getting to the latter 40s. And we've seen a lot of guys, actually, when they get to the latter 40s and get ready to tune up for the uh, Champions Tour, the PGA Tour Champions, as it's now called, you see that, um, you know, that extra sort of pedal to the metal, maybe they're finally getting healthy, they spend some time at home and work on things, um, but it's always been there, you know, that hold on mentality, that champion mentality, the ability to execute down the stretch, even though we've seen it at times be a little shaky, If you go back to 2012 or so, or you struggled a bit, including out of U.S. Open at the Olympic Club. Um, but by and large it's always been there for Furyk and to see him tap into it especially at TPC where he lives um, I'm not sure where exactly but he lives in the Pot of Vedra community um, so there were I mean don't get me wrong Rory is still by far and away when you boil it down to a top five fan favorite list at any golf course you go to it's going to be Tiger Phil Ricky Rory and probably Spieth maybe JT the way JT's been on the rise Dustin Johnson up there maybe as well Um, You know, you could throw in several different guys at five, but, I mean, for the longest time, it's been Tiger, Rory, Ricky, and Phil kind of the four. People were still really rooting for Rory, but I think that for nostalgia's sake and because of where he lives and because of it being his community, um, there were a lot of chants. You know, people chanting at 17, at 16. You could hear him at 18 when I was standing at 17. Channing Jimmy, 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 um, all the way in, which was really cool. And uh, I have to admit, too, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Rory's depth. I've loved his game since he was a 15-, 16-year-old getting sponsor exemptions in Europe, and I knew, like a lot of people did the first time I saw him, that he had the kind of game to really do what he's doing now. But a part of you really did hope that Jim Furyk could come down the stretch and wrestle that one away and pick up a huge tournament title, really in the first huge tournament title that – Aside from winning the FedEx Cup in 2010, you'd have to go back to the U.S. Open in 2003. It would have been a wonderful storyline. And I think the best part of all of it is now Furek knows he can execute down the stretch at the uh, young age of 48. And uh, he's in the match play, and he's on the doorstep of maybe qualifying for the Masters. And you don't typically see that for guys that are... Um, turning into Ryder Cup and President's Cup captains. And I don't think we appreciate or respect that enough. You know, usually when you see guys take these captain roles, these are guys that are either playing on the PGA Tour champions or are in their latter 40s on the PGA Tour with reduced schedules, like Steve Stricker, who um, will see captain, I'm sure, the Ryder Cup. And, uh, you know, We're not seeing them win and contend and compete on a consistent basis. They go out there, they get a top 10 or a top 25, but that's usually what we see from them. So to see something like this from him, and Tiger Woods, who will be captaining the President's Cup team, to see him doing what he's doing at this stage of his career after all the surgeries, I don't know that people fully grasp and respect that enough. And I think finally seeing him do what he did down the stretch at such a huge tournament opened a lot of eyes to just how good a golfer he was and still is And a lot of people really appreciate it and loved
0: every second of it. Talking to Sean Davidson here about uh, the the players, um, which wrapped up with a Rory McIlroy victory. Let's go through some of these uh, names now. Number one, Eddie Pepperell. I have been saying for months that I love this guy's game. I love his swagger. I love his personality. There's a great Doug Ferguson article from the AP today about Eddie Pepperell. I'm a big fan of this guy's game. And he comes out and he shoots 66, and he makes the bomb on 17 on Sunday uh, to 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 get tie third. This is a guy who I think is going the Terrell Hatton, Danny Willett path of international guy, doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, Matt Wallace is the same way, who people who follow golf oh, wow. extremely closely know about. And now suddenly... Watch out for him at a major championship or some big event because they've got the game to do it. Nobody's going to have their eyes on them. Nobody's going to pick them. No pressure. And hello, you can be in perfect contention.
1: No, I absolutely agree. You know, you rattled off a list of names. Tommy Fleetwood also came to mind. I mean, and Tommy Fleetwood, it's not like I'm saying this is the second wave of Tommy Fleetwood. We're still deep in the first wave of him. We're still getting to know Tommy Um, and he's playing fantastic golf and it's, a matter of time until Tommy wins the tournament, and when he does, he's going to win plenty of them over here in the States, and that's not even a question in my mind, but kind of how Tommy Fleetwood came seemingly out of nowhere, and he's become a name that we're getting really familiar with, um, I absolutely agree. I think Eddie Pepperell, same story, and he announced his presence at CPC Sawgrass. He also announced his presence, what was it, the last Open Championship, made a run um, on Sunday. U.S. Open. And, uh, you know, we're going to hear a lot from him. You know, it's also to your point about Danny Willett. it's good to see him uh, healthy again and getting the game back together and, and playing a lot better than he was. Cause there was a time where he was missing cuts and it wasn't even close. So to see him playing some weekends and playing respectably well on weekends is a big step forward for him. And he's a real character too, that I think, uh, you know, U S fans can appreciate and that golf fans in general can appreciate. And, and I think golf would be a lot better when Danny Willard is contending a lot more. And I think he's well on his way once again. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of younger guys or maybe even not the younger guys who've been toiling away in Europe for a little while that have made their way over to the States and are playing on some big stages and are making the most of the opportunities. And I think that's the beauty of where we're at, and where we're at in the game right now is that literally anybody can put together an amazing stretch of golf at any time. And it makes it so incredibly tough to win out there, which is why I think, you know, yeah, certainly some of the trends with Rory McIlroy and final groups and not making putts was troubling, but at the same time, we also live in an era where even if you do make a few putts and even if you do play pretty well on Sunday in the final group, there's a very good chance somebody, a group or two ahead, can shoot 65 and pass you up. Um, so we live in a day and age where anybody can string together an incredible stretch of golf and, you know, we're getting to meet all these new faces and we're getting to know all these new personalities. And I think the more and more that happens, Tiger can't play forever, you know. Bill can't play forever. Um, Vijay Singh would like to think he can play forever and darn near won a tournament down in West Paul Beach, but he can't play forever either. Um, and it was great to see him contend down there too. Um, so we're going to have a new wave of play, you know, and Jordan Spieth isn't going to win every week. He's struggling right now. Um, Rory McIlroy is going to ride the highs and lows. We're going to need some other guys. And we're starting to find a new wave, not just of American talent, but also European talent and global talent as well. There's some really good players, Tong Lee. Um, we already know Hideki Matsuyama from Asia. I-, I think golf is in a really healthy place, and the more and more people that we get to know who perform in these big tournaments, the better overall for the game.
0: Um, all right, what was John Rahm thinking on 11? And that's got to be one of the more frustrating losses of his career. He was in perfect position to get this title, and he struggled out of the gate. Everybody struggled out of the gate on Sunday. Um, yeah, he you know he has to fight with Adam Hayes as caddy. Um, that's got to sting. I, I think more so for anybody who lost this event. Um, you know, guys like Pepperell and Johnny Vegas made a run. Dustin, you know, he won't feel bad about it. Sneds won't feel bad about it. There was nobody really else who lost this tournament. Abraham Answer was up there for a while and then he struggled with bogeys on 12, 13, and 18. But you would have to go back to Rom, who just had all these problems at the end. He bogeys 11, bogeys 15, and then dumps in the water on 17, plus Tommy Fleetwood falls in this class too. Um, but, I mean, that's just got to be really frustrating for, for Rom to make that mistake. And the caddy was right. And he should never have tried to hit that shot.
1: No, I mean, he absolutely was right. That wasn't a shot he should have attempted. And, you know, I will say this. You mentioned Fleetwood. Fleetwood's going to be a little frustrated, too, because kind of like Rory, who would put himself in position time and time again and couldn't come away with a elusive victory for a while. You know, Fleetwood's probably going to have to get back to the drawing board and wonder what the heck do I've got to do to, to get the job done one of these weeks. So I think from that perspective, Fleetwood's going to be a little bit frustrated. Um, but... I think on top of that, you know, you and I have said time and time again on this show, uh, through texts, on social media, you got to learn how to lose one before you learn how to win one. Kind of, with rare exception, guys learn through losing. And, you know, for John Rahm, that's really the first time in a, we'll just call it one of the top five go to events or huge events around the world that, you know, you put that in your resume and you've really, you know, beefed it up a lot um you know it's called golf's fifth major unofficially for a reason and that's the first time he's really ever put himself in position in the final group with the lead on sunday coming down the back nine and what we saw was we saw a guy who made some questionable decisions down the stretch and pressed a little bit too hard and was overly aggressive and wasn't thinking things through necessarily all the way and those are things that he probably knows full well and is probably kicking himself a little bit for. But I guarantee you the next time he's in that position, he won't do it again. And that's, you know, to me, a guy who's young, who puts himself in that position, who did not play the way he wanted to, who did not make the decisions that he wanted to, yeah, it's going to hurt a little while. It it sure will. And uh, I, I wouldn't blame him for licking his wounds for a little bit. But to me, the thing that will tell me a lot about John Rahm is how he responds the next time he's in contention. And he is way too good of a player not to put himself in contention, not just at TPC again, but at just about every other major on the schedule. He will find a way to get himself back into contention, and I do not have any worry in the world that he will find a way to close it. I think this, as it has been for so many others, is a necessary step um, to figuring out how to get the job done on Sunday. And... Uh, To know how to get the job done on Sunday, you first must establish how to not get the job done. And he did. And it'll hurt, but I think he'll be better
0: for it. Um, All right, let's roll through some of these quickly. Um, Did you walk a bunch with Tiger this week, and what did you think?
1: Uh, Walked a bit with him on Friday, since he was paired with Patrick Reed and Webb Simpson. Um, Friday, looked like he was on the right track, was making putts. And then 17 happened, and it all sort of fell apart. I will say this. I thought he rallied back well on the front nine at Sawgrass, which I feel is a considerably harder nine than the back nine at Sawgrass is. Just from my optical perspective out there on the golf course, I thought him making a couple of birdies on the front and sort of limiting the damage after the quad um, was really an admirable thing, and he made the cut relatively safely after that. Um, but then it just sort of seemed like after that he was stuck in neutral on Saturday and then Sunday made a few birdies. But, you know, at that point in time, you're starting the day out T-43, I think it was, or T-45. Um, there's only so much you're going to do. So to see him make some putts and make some birdies on Sunday, hey, good for him. Um, I think we're still getting there. I think, you know, we're still trying to figure out where he's at health-wise. Um, but it looked promising at times. And I think, you know, as he continues to play, he'll be playing in Austin. Um we're going to see him put more and more of the pieces together. I mean, when we talk horses for courses and how well Speed plays Augusta and how Rory's put himself in contention a bunch of times, there isn't going to be another guy in the field who's won more on that course than Tiger. So we'll see when we get to Augusta where we're at. But I feel like things are close. They're not just quite right. And if he has all those good vibes or at least some positive signs of momentum or encouragement going into Augusta, that could be all he needs for us to see him contend again. Um, the putting had seemed to be a problem coming into PPC, but he did make a few putts on Friday when I was following him um, relatively closely, and you know that that was good to see. So we'll see where we go from here. You know he's going to take the week off. He's going to go into Austin, and uh, I'll put a question mark on it. But you know what? I'm glass half full kind of guy, and when I see a guy come back from thinking he's not going to play again and win his 80th title last year, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, especially when a tournament he's won four times is right around the corner.
0: Um, all right, and then final thing, and there's a lot of things we can talk about, um, and and I think Tiger will be fine too going into uh, going into um, this this upcoming stretch, and, and I think Austin will be good just to get him in in in, in a different mental space at, at the match play, and that golf course will expose some flaws. So I think that'll be helpful, and then as long as he doesn't have to play a lot of golf and have quick turnarounds, I think he'll be good, um, and. Uh, what's also going to be interesting for Tigers to see um, if if he has quick turnarounds having to play 36 in the weekend it, it, it'd almost be better if he doesn't make it out of his pod play three rounds get the heck out of there have a week off and then be fully recovered for Augusta um, you've been close with 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 team Reed for a while. Patrick's had a really uh, inconsistent not Patrick Reed like start to his 2019 season as he nears um, defending in Augusta. What was the vibe you got?
1: You know, I saw stretches where... Uh, <clears throat> sorry. I saw stretches where he played really well. Um, really, on Thursday, um, I mean, I wasn't there, but I was sort of keeping track. He had nine greens and shot 69. You know, his scrambling, his putting, uh, for most of the year coming into this week, was pretty darn good. Um, to me, Friday, Saturday, and clearly Sunday, putting was... A little off, a little wonky, still shot 69 on Friday and Saturday. Um, and put himself in defense position. You know, there were times that he was bouncing into and out of the top 7, 8, 10 area on Friday and Saturday when he was starting to spring together a few birdies. Um, He's close. He's real close. Um, Hitting some really good shots. Um, Missed a few more fairways than I'm sure he would have preferred to have missed. Um, But for me, I think the big story for Patrick at least from what I saw at CPC when I watched in the CPC, was there were a lot of makeable putts that he missed, um, especially on the weekend and especially on Sunday um, for birdie and for par that just did not seem to find the bottom of the cup and it just seemed to be one of those weeks for him on the green. So, you know, for me, he's going to get back to Augusta and he made just about everything there last year. And I saw enough from his game where I would not be surprised if he contended there at all. I think he's. Uh, I, I think he'll figure things out. I think he'll win once or twice this year, and
0: one of them could be a major. So, I think he'll be in good shape. Who, uh, who will win first, Mister Reed or Mister Spieth?
1: Um, at this point in time, with Spieth struggling to make cuts, and I think Reed's just a few little things away. I mean, he's already been on a few leaderboards. Um, maybe hasn't stayed on them, but he surfaced on a few of them um, on the weekends. I'll say Patrick. Um, But it would not shock me with as well as Speed plays Augusta and how he nearly came back and swiped it away from Patrick last year if Spieth puts the pieces together and could come out of left field and shock us next week just because of how well he plays at Augusta. Um, uh, So I wouldn't be shocked if Spieth somehow finds a way to win one first, but I would say if you look at where both of their games are at and where it seems like Patrick's just a few tweaks away, Spieth looks like he's got a little bit more work maybe with the game and with the mentality um, to figure out. Um, I would say Patrick Reed, naturally, I would go with, would win first. Um, but I think both of them are going to be just fine. I think both of them are going to contend. And I don't think it's going to be too long until we see both of them contending again.
0: Sean Davison is uh, one of the voices of Florida State on ESPN3 and ACC Network Extra. He will be on the call tomorrow, you said, for baseball?
1: Yeah, I got, I've got hopefully nine innings of baseball. Hopefully that's all it is between Florida International and FSU. Uh, last season, under Mike Martin, got him to 2,000 wins earlier this year, and the Knolls are trying to make his for the program's 23rd trip to Omaha, the first World Series, for the man they call 11. It's an honor to work with him. He's a legend, and uh, it really has been a lot of fun spending time with this program this particular year, and uh, we'll see how they respond in the midweek. They had a tough week last week against Florida and NC State, so this one's going to be important.
0: You and Chip Baker in the booth?
1: Yeah, Chip Baker, who uh, was an assistant at Virginia Tech and uh, Georgia Tech for a while, and then was Mike Martin's third base coach at Florida State before he became the director of baseball ops. So we'll be doing that, and we're breaking in a new sideline reporter and Blake, who's got a lot of talent, and we'll see what he can do on the air. Uh, Knowles are playing UCF tonight. That'll be Blake's debut with a different play-by-play guy, and then I'll be working with him on Wednesday.
0: Um, and, uh, all, and, and as I said, you can hear those games on ESPN three and, um, ACC network extra on the road to Omaha. And, uh, Sean, this starts a run. We're going to talk to you once a month, basically from now through August. This is what dreams are made for. Yes, yes, this is what dreams are made for. Sean, thank you for coming on Teeing It Up as always, and thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. We will see you soon.